Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We take a deep dive in the war in Gaza and the impact it's having here. Plus, an accidental demolition. Winter is coming. Learn about the MOBA project and beautifying Barton Street. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Since the war in Gaza has started, there has certainly been, I'm sure you've noticed, certainly been an increase in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia around the world, including here in Canada. We're not immune to this kind of hatred. So much so that the National Council of Canadian Muslims says the last few days have been the worst in decades in terms of Islamophobia reported to that organization. And pro-Palestine rallies have included anti-Semitic and hateful messages, including genocidal slogans targeting Jews. What is going on? Michael Boston is the CEO of B'nai B'rith Canada and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Michael, good morning. How are you today? I'm, I'm okay in the circumstances. Thanks for having me, Rick, this morning. Anti-Semitism has sadly existed for ages, but it has certainly ramped up since Hamas attacked Israel earlier this month. What have you seen and what impact is it having? Uh, so, yes, and, and certainly it, it is worth noting off the top that Hamas is itself a not just an anti-Israel group, but it's a completely anti-Semitic group that really um, wants to see uh, the, the wiping out of Israel and all Israeli citizens, but also uh, the murder of Jews. It's it's in its own charter. And so perhaps not too surprising that the backlash that we've seen all the way around the world, but including in this country, all the way across this country, have been uh, protests that, um, as you mentioned off the top, have included genocidal chants against Jews. Uh, just yesterday in Toronto and over this weekend, uh, we saw calls to boycott businesses. Why? Well, they're Jewish-owned businesses. We've seen that before. We've also seen on social media, it has just been absolutely rife with anti-Semitism. Uh, B'nai does operate a an anti-hate hotline. We also have an app uh, to assist those who are facing discrimination and anti-Semitism. Um, and uh, it's kept us, unfortunately, very, very busy uh, dealing with the complaints and um and and fears quite frankly from many in the Jewish community um who who see this rise in hate in this country i'm sure it was somewhat expected i mean this kind of happens all the time unfortunately did you expect this type of uh language this type of this amount of anti-semitism we have seen it before. Um, and uh, B'nabrith does keep an audit of anti-Semitic incidents. We've been doing so since 1982, tracking the trend lines in anti-Semitism in this country. The last time that there was a, you know, an instance of conflict in May of 2021, uh, we did see a, a major rise in anti-Semitism and, in fact, a spike in violent attacks against the community uh, at that point in time. Uh, so not too surprising, we do see blowback on the Jewish community when we do see conflict in the Middle East. However, the you know the the anger uh, of these mobs, the continuation of this, uh, has taken uh, the community by surprise. Uh, so much so that uh, there are many parents that on some days when Hamas declared a, a day of rage, a day of jihad, many parents kept their children home. There were security concerns. And something that B'nai B'rith and other Jewish groups have said for a long time to police and to those in authority, our government officials, is if you allow this 
the the mob mentality, the hate, the rage to continue, it will only continue to grow. We have to get back to common decency and respect for the other and treating people as individuals, um, not as just groups um, that can be um, um, discriminated against and yelled at and screamed at and dehumanized. And um, the longer that that happens, I think you're going to continue to see an escalation of this sort of behavior in Canada. Agreed. Michael Mostyn is the CEO of B'nai Canada, joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. By the way, that toll-free anti-hate hotline, 1-800-892-BNAI. That's one 800 892 you mentioned anti-Semitic demonstrations at Jewish-owned businesses. We saw some over the weekend in Toronto. Um, I saw a lot on social media as well of many people saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to now support this Jewish-owned business because this is the right thing to do. That must be somewhat heartwarming that there are many people out there who are on the other side of the equation. Uh, it is, of course. It's you, you don't you don't ever want to see this happening in the first place. That there has to be the 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 inverted backlash, the positive backlash to say, you know what, I'm going to uh, support you because you have been targeted and I identify. And and look, you know, Canada is a great country, and I think the vast majority of us are peace loving uh, in this country, and it is very heartwarming uh, to see. But at the same time, it is very disturbing to see that there is a significant minority that is okay with w- waving terrorist flags, flags of organizations that have been designated by Canada itself as terrorist organizations, these genocidal chants, as we were talking about, uh, and that it's been allowed to just continue. Of course, there is freedom of speech, and we cherish freedom of speech in this country, but there's limits to everything. And, and certainly that should happen when it comes to incitement. So, uh, yes, that is welcome. And the Jewish community welcomes all of the, you know, individual expressions of support um, when we're coming under siege like a moment like this. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, our officials have to begin tamping down on this uh, because it is going to escalate and get out of control at some point. Well, in our final minute together, we know that the war in Gaza is clearly going to get worse. Are you expecting even worse anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, um, because you're absolutely right. War is is ugly. um, And uh, Israel hasn't even really entered uh, the strip at this point to try and destroy Hamas. So, um, yeah, it's I think it's just for all of us as as Canadians here to stand by one another um, and um, and be sure that we don't target individuals uh, and blame individuals in this country, no matter what the conflict might be, as if they are to blame uh, for something that's happening in another part of the world. And if we can make that distinction, I think we can help keep Canada a safe place. Well said, Michael. Thank you for your time uh, this morning. Thanks so much, Rick. Michael Mostyn is the CEO of B'nai B'rith Canada. Again, that toll-free anti-hate hotline, 1-800-892-2624. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In Gaza, Israel and Hamas are continuing to go at it. It has been a very bloody conflict up to this point and more bloodshed. Uh, will occur in the days, weeks, who knows, months to come. Canadian Armed Forces retired Major General Dennis Thompson joins us here on GMH on 900 CHML uh, to give us uh, his perspective on what is going on in the Middle East. Major General Thompson, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm fine. And yourself? I'm good. We're, We're hearing that an Israeli ground offensive is going to start at some point in Gaza. What is that going to look like? Well, first, I think it's, 
it's worth uh, pointing out that it hasn't started yet, largely because uh, many of the hostages are not from Israel. In fact, there's a, there's a multinational group of hostages that are being used as bargaining chips, human shields, whatever you uh, description you want to use. And as you're aware, two American hostages were released over the weekend, um, and that has prompted other international leaders to to ask Israel not to launch this offensive, because when it does occur, it will be done in overwhelming numbers, uh, and they'll have to fight their way through basically a three-dimensional battle space, which is quite different from an open field battle. Um, and it's it basically comes down to close quarter battle that's casually intensive inside uh, rubble buildings and a tunnel system that is nicknamed the Gaza Metro. So a, a very daunting task faces the Israeli Defense Forces and the Hamas defenders. There are uh, fears that this battle is going to grow into a wider war involving other players, uh, perhaps Lebanon, uh, maybe Iran. That will certainly, who knows, bring in some other uh, militaries, uh, perhaps the Americans. Is this inevitable or, or can this be uh, um, can this be something that does not occur? Well, I think that's essentially why people like uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and the President of the United States and other world leaders have been uh, conducting shuttle diplomacy, essentially, to avoid just such an escalation. And while southern Lebanon and Iran are certainly, and Hezbollah are certainly threats, I think the bigger problem for Israel right now is the West Bank, where uh, they, they need to restrain the the settlers that are there from lashing out at Palestinians and causing even more casualties. So there's been a number of arrests in the West Banks and the possibility of that area exploding are very real, I think probably before Southern Lebanon becomes a problem. The other issue is of course, they're now uniting um, not just the Arab world, but the Arab world with the uh, with with Iran, with essentially uh, their arch enemy, the Shias and the Sunnis are coming together in order to potentially take a run at Israel, which is very problematic. What do you make of Canada's response thus far? Well, I don't know that Canada's response could be any different. We're not really aware of any um, Canadian citizen that's a hostage, but clearly if that was an issue, uh, they'd have a a role to play. Um, The diplomatic efforts on behalf by... um, uh, Minister Jolie at, at the, the summit that was held in Cairo this weekend are are uh, laudable, and uh, and I think we should do our best to assist in opening up the, the humanitarian corridor that's absolutely necessary. I mean, uh, there are somewhere normally somewhere in the vicinity of 200 to 250 trucks that go into the Gaza Strip to resupply it, and just to date, we've had. Uh, uh, an initial convoy of 20, followed by another of 14, and another one that's entering the Gaza Strip right now. So I think Canada could play a role in on the humanitarian side, but I don't think that we really have a military role to play here. Uh, Canada on Saturday, you mentioned Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie uh, announcing an additional $50 million in humanitarian assistance as this war continues on. In our final minute together, there there is uh, uh, increasing calls for an immediate ceasefire to get all this aid, get these supplies to civilians in Gaza. Is that a remote chance at this point? I don't think the Israelis would accept it. And I'm not sure that even Hamas would respect a ceasefire. 
I think what has to happen is uh, instead of using the Rafa crossing, if you look at a map, there's another crossing called the Karim Shalom crossing, which is about four kilometers away from there, just tucked inside the Israeli border. And it has a facility to move fuel from one side to the other safely. And I think that's going to be uh, a, a critical commodity in the coming days. So, um, the, you know, Canada could encourage uh, those sorts of initiatives, but I'm not sure that either side at this point in time would accept a ceasefire. Major General Thompson, we'll leave it there. Thank you for your time and insight this morning. Thank you. That is uh, Canadian Armed Forces retired Major General Dennis Thompson offering his thoughts on the war in Gaza. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Roundtable time with Paul and Shona. Welcome back. I guess you are offering me a welcome back. So yeah. it's great to be back is what <laughs> I'm trying to say. I was going to say, we, we've been here. So thank <laughs> welcome, you for returning. Wait. Welcome back into my life. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Hope you had a great vacation. Amazing vacation. First and foremost, I do want to Scott, uh, thank Scott Radley for filling in. He did a phenomenal job. And yes, I was tuning in from time to time, seeing how things were going. And uh, Scott did an awesome job. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed a, a spectacular 25th anniversary getaway with a wife. Nice. Wow. Went to Niagara Falls and Niagara on the Lake. Did a little cross-border shopping. Spent way too much money. <laughs> oh, but well think done. of all the savings, too. <laughs> well, with the exchange rate, I, I got to say, you know, there are, there are many things in in the States that are priced higher than they are here in Canada. I know. Like a bag of chips. I thought, what? I thought we were paying a lot. A family size bag of chips in the States is like $6 American. Yeah. Holy cow. I know. Now, did you check out potatoes in the U.S.? Did you check out the price of (laughs) eggs? Because I've heard like in the U.S. they're crazy. I did not because I was thinking we don't need eggs. So I didn't really look at (laughs) eggs. Yeah. I mean, we're still seeing that in, in parts of the U.S., Eggs are going for like nine and ten dollars a dozen. Wow! Holy moly! Yeah. Yikes! Yeah, they were even talking about how in Europe, um, how egg prices have tripled and quadrupled. Wow! Like they've gone up a bit here. You know, you used to always get a lost leader one for two ninety nine and yeah. three forty nine or something like that, and it's easy to find them for five dollars a dozen. But ten American—that's insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I'm picturing a bunch of Americans just setting up. Uh, well, they'll be, they'll be coming to get our diabetes insulin and uh, <laughs> eggs. <laughs> and eggs. They'll be coming across the Or just day. building uh, chicken coops in the <laughs> yeah, backyard. Right. They're yeah. going to just make eggs themselves yeah. and have the chickens do so. Uh, I did see A Haunting in Venice, the movie with uh, oh, Kenneth Branagh. Oh. I thought, was, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, you know, the ratings weren't spectacular, but it's Agatha Christie. It's a great story. And uh, he hit out of the park. Yeah, great cast. Well, yeah, I mean, Michelle Yeoh. Yep, Tina yeah, Fey's in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Tina Fey's in it. Yeah. 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 Kelly Riley from Yellowstone's in it, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Really good movie. Uh, 99-year-old Walter oh, Decker of Hamilton. You guys have this story this morning of yeah. climbing up the CN Tower, which has, I don't know how many thousands of steps, 2,000 or something. 1,800. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah just, just shy of 1,800. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot of steps, yes. I'm not sure I do that many steps, stair steps in a week. Well, we should tell people who haven't heard the news. That this 99-year-old was able to walk up on Saturday, um, raising money for charity. It's his third time going up. He started when he was 91. <laughs> yep. This time he went up with his like his his son, his grandson, and great-grandchildren wow. joined him. They were probably the more tired than he was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet that. Now, he climbs the Kenilworth Stairs at least three times a week. Wow. Have you tried the climbing the Kenilworth Stairs? Uh, no. no. I can barely climb my stairs, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, eh? Like, I, I can- 
I have to grab the handrail <laughs> going, why am I not? Why don't I just have a one floor home? Coming up the stairs in the building, it's like, oh. <laughs> yes. Walter did it in, what, 70 minutes and 22 seconds. What? And he said he would have been under an hour if he didn't have to do all the media interviews. <laughs> I know, that's what killed me. Wow. Here's, he gets up in the morning and does 30 to 50 push-ups to start his day. Yeah. As soon as he gets out of bed. That's insane. I, I'm quite excited that I'm able to stand up out of bed <laughs> in the morning. I don't do 30 to 50 push-ups. I do a little light yoga. <laughs> I, yeah. I was actually Bending joking over with to put uh, your socks on is not yoga, Shona. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> if it you is can still if you reach your feet, that counts. It. If you breathe through it, it is. I was actually joking with Shona uh, <laughs> after the news that uh, I can barely do one push up, let alone. <laughs> I, I'm halfway like up and I just like, oh, God, I got to fall. Uh. <laughs> <Spaz> out. <laughs> yeah, 30 to 50 a day. That's insane. Yeah. Good for him. No Good kidding, for him. No kidding. So I have a story about a woman who saw her home demolished. What? And it wasn't planned. I was going to oh. say, like, this, is, this was not something that she wanted. No. In fact, she was on vacation. And gets, oh, no. a, gets a call from her neighbor and her neighbor is like, hey, Susan, uh, have you hired someone to knock down your house, to tear down your home? And uh, she's like, uh, pardon? No, that is not, uh, not the case. Because, yeah, you know, a heads up to the neighbors would be a nice idea. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. Uh, Susan Hodgson of Atlanta um, had to go through this. So she's now mulling over her next step. Because the company that was demolishing her home was actually confronted by this neighbor because the neighbor relayed the message that, you know, stop, Susan has not ordered this demolition. And the, and the guy in charge is like, just get out of here. Like, we're doing our work. I got my paperwork. Yeah. So Susan eventually, you know, a week or so after arrives on the scene from her vacation and says, no, this, this, was not, <laughs> this was not supposed to happen. Wait, you get a call while you're on vacation. That there's a company demolishing your house yeah. and you don't come home? Well, there's a little bit of a catch to it, and okay. I'll explain it in a second. Okay. But no, she didn't, she didn't rush home right away, although I'm sure she was tempted to do so. <laughs> and so she confronts the company, say, what gives? And so the company admits that, yeah, they had the wrong address. Oh, no. So two things. Number one, yes, they have the wrong address. Where's the house that they were supposed to demolish? <laughs> and has it That's been where demolished? she's now living. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the contractor had the, had the sheet flipped upside down yeah, by exactly, accident. Exactly. And so she says, quote, I was, w I, I keep waking up thinking, is this all a joke or something? I'm, I'm just in shock, which I get anyone would be. But here's the catch. And there's some good news to this story because the house that she owns that's been demolished has been vacant for 15 years. Oh. All the taxes have been paid. She had planned to do something with it. Um, but it sounds like she just got a free demo. <laughs> good deal good deal so i think and she's happier now i'm sorry where was this location atlanta georgia yes i think i know what her next step is what's that hello lawyer <laughs> i know i got a free demo yeah but but wait there should be more yeah i think so yeah. it'll probably happen you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What kind of winter are we going to have in Hamilton? You're probably thinking Samprin. Like it's we're not even close to winter yet. It's two months away. And you're right. Winter officially arrives December 21st, 10:27 p.m. And yes, I looked that up. And our next guest says El Nino is going to make its presence felt. I am El Nino. All other tropical storms must bow before El Nino. Yo soy El Nino. For those of you who don't habla Espanol, 
El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. Yes, it is the great Chris Farley. Doug Gillum is a meteorologist at the Weather Network and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Doug, welcome back. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm doing well. I'm trying to get the frost off my windshield. A frosty morning across the region. I think it's appropriate. We are looking ahead to winter, uh, though, as you pointed out, it's still officially a couple months away. It's it's chilly this morning. It is. Yeah, I woke up and uh, while I didn't have to deal with frost at 3.30 in the morning, I do know that some people are scraping that stuff off. And the, the, I mean, the first sign of it is like, oh, here we go again. Yes. But, you know, we were spoiled by you know, summer weather at the beginning of the month. People are I've had people say, you know, what happened? Well, I mean, it was a quick free fall in temperatures, but to have frost in late October, that's nothing unusual. In fact, this first widespread frost freezes pretty much on schedule, even just a little bit late. And in saying that, I mean, even looking at the forecast this week, we are, for the most part, most days this week, the high is well above the average high. It's about, you know, 12 degrees on average, and we're seeing highs in the forecast of 18, 19 degrees. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, by tomorrow, uh, we'll be into the upper teens, such a, a nice day. And temperatures will be more typical of September, right through the end of the week. Upper teens, I think, we will even squeeze out a day or two where we top 20 degrees. So for the, the last uh, week of October, we certainly can't complain. There'll be some showers, um, but there'll be some sun mixed in as well, and, and those very mild temperatures. So after a frosty morning, it, you know, it feels like we're going backwards to September. So winter will not be on our minds later this week. We're, we're a week and a day from Halloween. I know a lot of our younger listeners are eagerly anticipating what kind of Halloween night they should expect. Is it going to be okay? Uh, well, at this point, it looks like it will be rather chilly. No, that's not unusual. I think we usually expect that. But it does look like after a mild week this week, we will get a shot of some rather chilly weather next week. Nothing extraordinary, but uh, it'll be the reality check that um, November is just around the corner. And in fact, November will arrive next week and temperatures will. It'll feel like November next week. Doug Gillum is a meteorologist at the Weather Network. You are listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. So, yes, winter officially arrives December 21st, 10.27 p.m. to be exact. Uh, and El Nino, you are expecting to be a big factor. How so? Well, yeah, we do have a strong El Nino in place. And when we look back at history, we see that strong El Ninos are associated with generally mild winters across the country. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have some severe winter weather. The, the winter of 1997-98 and also a very strong El Nino was associated with that historic and catastrophic ice storm, very destructive ice storm in eastern Ontario, southern Quebec. So it doesn't mean you're totally off the hook for winter, but temperatures generally much warmer than normal. And we do expect a delayed start to consistent winter weather. However, we, you know, we're going to issue our final winter forecast on December 1st. And we're we're not so sure that we're going to cancel winter entirely, especially as we look at January and February. There's some signs that this El Nino has some unique elements to it that might keep it from being the typical El Nino, where again, like I said, we where mild temperatures dominate. The most recent strong El Nino, 2015-16, that was a pretty mild winter. And again, we think it'll be a mild start to winter. But January and February, we're still at a crossroads. Do we keep that mild pattern or does this unique 
El Nino allow us to kind of flip the table and have a much stronger finish to the season. When will you get a better idea of, of the impact of this El Nino? And is does it necessarily live or die with how the jet stream kind of plays out throughout the winter? Well, I think by the end of February, we'll know pretty well. All kidding aside, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we, we'll issue our final winter forecast on December 1st. Or, sorry, November 29th. So hopefully we'll have a good handle on that. But, you know, we won't know for sure until the winter was over if we made the right call on that. But, yes, the jet stream is the, you know, the key driver of weather patterns and how does that set up. But for this El Nino, what, you know, typically, uh, I don't know how, how many people understand what we're looking at with El Nino, but it's un- uh, warming of ocean water temperatures near the equator in the Pacific Ocean. When the warmest water relative to normal is on the eastern part of the Pacific, near South America, that's the classic El Nino, that's the classic mild winter pattern. But if that warmer water shifts west to the central Pacific, and I do think that's going to happen, we find that El Nino looks very different in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, We actually tend to turn much colder and I know I'm pretty I'm confident we will make the change. The question has how quickly will it be quickly enough to give us kind of a strong second half to winter or will it kind of hold off till the end? That'll be the key to how this winter is remembered, how quickly that change occurs. Should we be celebrating El Nino's? I know it means a much milder than normal winter, but you did reference, you know, there are some of those really strong storms, including the ice storm that I think many people around these parts still remember as well. Is this something that Canadians get excited about because it means not necessarily a bitterly cold winter? You know, it's interesting how divided Canadians are on this because there are a lot of people, especially people who commute, who, you know, a mild winter is something to celebrate. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Canadian, many Canadians love their winter. And, uh, you know, especially the skiers and those who enjoy outdoor sports and ice fishing, and they want a classic Canadian winter. So uh, if it's a mild winter, some people will be happy and many will be disappointed. If we have a traditional classic winter, lots of people will be happy and we'll grumble as we shovel and slide our way to work every day. So uh, I think we're going to be divided either way. Um, the question, you know, I think you know, one group of people will probably be happy as we start the season. The other group will be happy as we finish. <laughs> um, I, I guess my message would be winter is, is definitely not canceled, but we may, it may be delayed. Uh, delayed start to consistent winter weather. Well, we're looking forward to the uh, wintry season when it does arrive. Doug, thanks for the time today. Hey, my pleasure. Enjoy today. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Two Barton Street locations are going to receive new garden spaces. And there is an event actually on tap tonight that will see some volunteers uh, come together to put this in place. uh, Leah's Enrique is the uh, program manager at Green Venture and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Liz, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Talk about these two projects that are going ahead. Yeah, these two projects uh, are part of a series along Barton Street. We like to call it Beautify Barton. And we've received funding from the Canada Community Revitalization Fund, uh, City of Hamilton, the Ward 3 offices, lots of different partners coming together to really inject some beauty, some more greenery, green spaces, community spaces downtown. And we've been focusing on Barton Street, but we're definitely excited to expand all around the city 
to install more green spaces. So what has been done in the city? I know this isn't the first time that this sort of beautification project has gone about. Uh, Talk about what's been done and what the impact has been. Yeah, Green Venture is a not-for-profit organization here in Hamilton. And over the last, well, I mean, it's been around since the mid-90s. So over the last few years, there's been so many different projects, uh, community gardens, mini forests, and uh, these um, green spaces. So specifically on Barton Street, there's there's about a handful, maybe six or seven green spaces, uh, starting from Barton and Emerald and going all the way along this um, this new round of gardens. There's one going at uh, Barton and Sherman. And so it really covers the entire BIA corridor. Um, And ultimately, we're looking for spaces that are underused. There's concrete, there's asphalt, it's it's mostly the boulevards. And so there was really nothing happening on those boulevards that were city-owned. And so we worked together with the city to turn those into green spaces that have pollinators, uh, pollinated plants, and specifically native species in those spaces. Some of those garden spaces also have seating areas like... um, benches or armor stone. And so we really wanted to create space for community to be able to sit and enjoy green space where previously they weren't able to. So it's not just a, obviously this makes the area look much nicer, but there's there's another aspect to this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the focus is green infrastructure. And so green infrastructure is essentially trying to clean the water, reduce stormwater, reduce the amount of wastewater that goes into, uh, you know, the the lakes and the rivers, the watershed, but keep the water in the garden spaces, have it be used to hydrate the plants and then get cleaned. So it's all part of this green infrastructure system. And this is obviously, you know, if, if you're a shopper and you want to go down to Barton, which has a lot of great shops, and you're thinking, you know, it's kind of gray, it's kind of concrete-ish with these kind of beautification projects, you know, it's inviting customers to the area as well. Absolutely. There's so many benefits, and we get so much positive feedback from from neighbors, from folks visiting the area. They say, oh, this is so beautiful. It was so ugly before. So, of course, aesthetics is part of it, um, but we for sure also focus on the environmental benefits. So today you're at uh, 342 Barton East and uh, volunteers are gathering uh, between four and five this afternoon at Emerald and Barton. So what's being done today? Yes. So 342 Barton is a two phase project. Half of the space was already beautified. It was already converted with permeable um, bricks. And so the water can run a little bit better there. And now it's phase two. And so the back of that building was left unfinished just because it needed a few um, a few work from the landlord, some work from the landlord. And so now we're completing it. So it's going to be really good to finish that garden. Um, I think it's over, over 150 new plants are going into that garden space. And uh, Adele Pierre, who's a landscape architect we work with, has designed this beautiful new garden space. And so volunteers are going to be planting that tonight. That sounds like fun. Uh, I also have an event on October the 29th at the Packing House. Is that sort of a a similar project? Yes, similar project. So the concrete was removed um, along that area. And we're also doing a bump out. And so this is the first time we're doing a bump out. And that is essentially a little corner piece, uh, again, owned by the city. It was just a concrete slab. 
So we, we thought, okay, let's just ask if we can do this little bump out and we got approvals. So total area depaved there. So concrete removed there was 70, about 73 meters square, uh, just over at uh, 673 Barton Street. There must be an element of community pride with these projects, whether it's volunteers or shop owners saying, hi, why don't we do this to beautify the area? Yes. And we get a lot of community support. Um, the last event I did was over at 571 Barton, which was the public library along Barton Street. We had so many volunteers, over 30, and then people walking by and asking us, what are you guys doing here? You know, neighbors walking by and saying, what are you, what's happening? And then they would join in. So we had over 40 people and we finished in an hour and I thought, okay, well, that was a lot faster than, <laughs> than I need, than, than needed. But so it's really encouraging because there is so much community support and um, we're continuing to build community support. And it's really a great initiative to be part of. That is awesome. Liz, thanks for the time today. Best of luck uh, later on today. And of course, on October 29th as well. Thank you so much. Liz Enriquez is the program manager at Green Venture as they continue to beautify Barton. And I'm sure we'll be looking uh, around town for other projects to uh, make it a little more green, a little more inviting for customers and shop owners and, uh, well, other people around town as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The new collaboration that is going to provide comprehensive and accessible collection of public, university, and private black archives across Ontario. I thought this was interesting, and I thought I'd dive into it with our next guest here. Dr. Cheryl Thompson is the director and creative lead at the Mapping Ontario's Black Archives Project, the MOBA Project. And Dr. Thompson joins us now on GMH. Cheryl, good morning. How are you today? Hi, good morning. Tell us about the purpose of this collaboration, of this project. So we worked with Q30 design to essentially build an accessible website that would pull all the collections together. So one of the historical issues in archives, just in general, is you never know where to go, right? Like you never know where to find anything. So we MOBA's kind of the one-stop shop for you to find everything. So what will we find? Um, everything. <laughs> you know, we've been, basically the project is you know, a year ago, the project was an Excel spreadsheet of <laughs> every collection across the province. So Windsor, Windsor to Timmins, um, we essentially went through and found all the collections that have black um, artifacts, images, documents. And so we've called them now into uh, an accessible um, sort of funneling into a uh, you know, a web page where all you have to do is go and you can see all the key subject words, all the items that are in each collection. And then Q30 designed a geospatial map where you can actually find it in space and time. Hmm. So what were you looking for? Was it photos? Was it stories? And, and did you find something surprising that you weren't necessarily looking for? I mean, it's everything. It's you know, I, I've been working in archives for over 10 years and I sort of see them as windows into the past, but, you know, the door to the present. Right. So they sort of take you into understanding who's lived in this community. What have they done? Uh, what what kind of culture exists? So we're talking about photographs, articles, newspaper articles. There's often a lot of that. Images, audio cassette tapes, DVDs, um, multimedia um, documents. Right. And so. I sort of see it as a way for you to really understand who's lived here and what kind of lives did they live. And also in the present, 
how can you still see um, sort of those histories reverberating in, in your in your community, right? Because I think one of the things that archives do is that they they open up these memories that people often didn't even know existed. And that's kind of what MOBA is trying to do. We're talking about Mapping Ontario's Black Archives Project, the MOBA Project, with director and creative lead, Dr. Cheryl Thompson. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How far back do these archives go? What is the the the, the earliest finds that you uncovered? Uh, I mean, we have collections that go back well into like the 1860s, 1870s. Um, with respect to Hamilton specific, I mean, we do have, we've already mapped some collections at McMaster's um, archive. So if you go on mobaprojects.ca, you'll find um, the Austin Clark bond, the Louise Bennett bond, the Angela Davis collection. Uh, McMaster University actually has a collection of some items um, related to Angela Davis, the, the activist scholar. So we, we've tried to kind of diversify what's currently on the site. And I should say, this is the beginning of the the collection, right? Right now, there's about 14 collections on MOBA projects. We have about seven times that more, that much to to actually get onto the website. And how long has this taken? And how long will that take to add all those other artifacts? Yeah, I mean, it's taken, <laughs> I want to say like 10 years plus in reality. But in terms of working on the project, we started this project in 2021. Um, and then to get the remainder of the collections, and I should say the collections are ongoing because we're often still hearing from various archives across the province as they find more collections. I would say it's we still got a couple years to go. <laughs> um, you know, the goal is to continue to add to the site. And, you know, we're sort of opening ourselves to the public as well. Like if you know of collections and if you know of archives that you think would work with the MOBA um, project mission, please get in touch with us. How do you hope this archival system is going to be used? Well, you know, I really developed it thinking about um, sort of the artist researcher, because there's a lot of Black artists in particular who rely on archives for their um, sort of their inspiration, but also choreography they're, um, if they're writing a play, they they actually use the archive to for inspiration. And so I, that was kind of the intention. But now I realize, no, what? why would I narrow it to just one group? It's, it's sort of for anyone who has an interest in history in their community, but also in the province. You know, one of the one of the impetus for this project was to say, if you find a black collection, say, in Hamilton, what we're trying to do is make a connection with other communities so that you have a deeper sense of the rootedness of black communities in the province itself and not just, you know, typically in an archive, you you find something in isolation. Hmm. We kind of wanted to move things out of isolation and connect them. Last one for you. We got about a minute. Was there one thing that has been uncovered and you thought, wow, I didn't think that was even out there? Oh, honestly, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. I don't even think I could pick one thing. I think the thing that surprised me the most is just the depth and the breadth of what we found. You know, when I first proposed this project, I thought I was going to find maybe 100 records and MOBA Projects has mapped over 5,500 records. Wow. <laughs> so I think that was surprising. Like I kind of underestimated myself what I thought was out there. 
Um, and I think that number is just going to keep growing. Sounds like it. Dr. Thompson, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful project it is. You can find more online at mobaprojects.ca, M-O-B-A projects.ca. Thanks to Dr. Thompson for hopping on by to give us a sneak peek of what you can find. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.